So Steve Anderson's had a heck of an indoor season. National champion for the USAA, USA Archery. That's the Olympic governing body for archery. National indoor champion. Not a bad thing. Not a bad last couple of weekends. Yeah. I mean, Vel- Vegas, Vegas was good, but... Vegas was really good. Yeah. I mean, both days of, you know, both the, the world archery component of Vegas and also the Vegas shoot. Right. You know, it went pretty far. Yeah, the only tournament that really sucked for me this year, in fact, the only tournament I didn't have a podium at, if you count the World Cup final and Vegas as, you know, a tournament. Uh, so the only one was Neem. It's another Eastern podcast with George Tekmachov and Steve the Big Cat Anderson. And this is probably number 45 by now. I don't know. I, I, I think so. Trying to decide what uh, what name to go with there on the intro. Yeah. So Neem. Yeah, Weltmeister Shaft has been popular. It's trending. In fact, um, there's a plot among some of your friends in Australia to uh, possibly endow you with a uh, window sticker that says Weltmeister Shaft on it. Very nice. Yes. I look forward to I, it. I don't know if they're going to do it or not, but they were talking about it. So, ah, so Steve, yeah, a big, big win um, over the great reigning world champion, Stefan Hansen, yeah. uh, in Cincinnati. And we're going to be talking with uh, Bruce Call, the... Uh, the uh, president of the NFA in a little while about the uh, the overall Cincinnati experience, but uh, what did you think? I, I mean, just you know, in general. Um, you know, NFA runs a good tournament, as good or better than any. So uh, they were pretty seamless in that. There's always a lot of people in that building. You know, it, it's uh, yeah, two thousand was the turnout this yeah. year. Yeah, and it seems like more than Vegas, just because of the I think the. The way it's well, they're all up. in the same spot, right? Yeah, they're all I mean, the they're all right there in the same hall. Whereas street. Vegas, you got what four halls, right? Yeah. So, yeah, Vegas seems to be quite a bit more split up, and it is. And so, so this one, you know, the, the indoor nationals, you also get a lot of people who don't go to Vegas, so this might be their big tournament of the year. Yeah, because driving distance, they can stay locally. Folks from Ohio, folks from Indiana, right? It's very convenient for them, right? So, um. You know, it's amazing to me that there are a lot of people who this tournament is bigger for them in their eyes than Vegas. And it's just, I think it's the culture of a lot of the clubs in that area of the country. They're, they're big on five spot. Uh, whereas over here, we, we never literally oh, yeah. never shoot it back East. And in Canada, the five spot is King. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it was it was interesting. It probably but. always will be because it's just, you know, let's face it. Um, it's the target for club shooters. Yeah. And, and to me, it's uh, like a, I, when I think of club archery, I I think of the club that I started in Nampa Bow Chiefs. And, you know, we did five spot, I think, on Tuesday night. Vegas League was Monday night. And Vegas League would be the only time we'd have enough people we'd have to go top and bottom target. And we'd still be done faster than a five-spot game. Yeah, it does and, take a while. Yeah, and and five-spot league, because it took so long, people tended not to show up. So You know what we used to do to break it up a little bit when I belonged to a club back east was um, the club actually had pistol shooters and compound shooters competing on, I think it was Wednesday nights. And usually the uh, archers would wear out the pistol shooters. Oh, yeah. On the I'm same sure. target. Yeah, that would actually be pretty cool. It was fun. Yeah, we. In fact, my home club had that. Uh, they had a pistol range. You know, next door. It was part of the same building, but on the other side. Same of the building. exact deal. Yep. Allied yep. Bowman. So, <clears throat> yeah, that was a popular thing, you know. And um, finally, we got a guy. Uh, he was a cop. Um, uh, a great friend of mine. Um, and Mike Carvelli was his name. And uh, Mike was in the Cheektowaga Police Department. Just a your size guy, okay. He was about six foot seven, six six six, and Mike um, was a great bullseye pistol guy, and he'd dominate in bullseye pistol, and then he'd learn to dominate in compound with a Fletchmatic. Very nice. So, <laughs> which means you took a few punches to the face. Was he ever? Uh, was he better with the pistol or the bow on a five spot face? He was pretty solid with both, to be honest with you. Hmm. So. Yeah, he was hard to beat. Yeah, but Cincinnati was cool. Uh, Louisville had a little better downtown, I would say. Um, Cincinnati had a maybe a better venue. Ah, they were both, they were both cool. Yeah, it was. You know, I've only been to Louisville 
twice. And uh, well, in a few minutes we're gonna that. we're I gonna talk to we're gonna talk to Bruce Call in a few minutes and get his take on on things. I think he was pretty pleased. Uh, yeah, you Bruce know. would. You know, he handles. We'll a lot get the four one one from Bruce a, a little more later. Of the operations there than me. Yeah, we'll also find out from Bruce. Uh, you know how the turnout was, whether it met expectations and that sort of thing. So we'll be talking to him shortly. Um, so you know, obviously coming off this big win, um, we've got some listener questions for for you, and they came into our Facebook. So I'm going to start picking on a couple of these, but first I'm going to give Sarah Toth. Uh, a shout out and an apology for missing her question that had been sent to podcast at eastontp.com. So, uh, dear George and Steven, she sent this back in January. Sorry about this, Sarah. I was wondering, do you have any tips for keeping a site smooth, moving, and corrosion free? Mm. I was brought up to always protect guns with gun slick or rem oil to achieve those same ends with a firearm. I recently checked the Shiboya website and looked at the online owner's manual. It says, use no alcohol, oils, or lubricants. It doesn't say whether non-oil-based products are okay or give any use this directions for cleaning other than a clean dry cloth. But in spite of my best efforts and diligence, I have some gunk building up and a little corrosion visible on a few of the screws. Do you know of a protectant that'll work well that is not oil or alcohol-based? Um, PTFE powder, graphite. I try to follow the principle of keep it nice, avoid buying twice, which is awesome advice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know of too many people that have run into a problem like this with a Shiboya site, but I can say that the materials that they selected are as corrosion resistant as you can find. Yeah, and screws are titanium for the most part, right? Some of that stuff is in there. And also you've got uh, uh, stainless steel where appropriate. But I do know that, that Sarah's right, that they, they tell you don't use you know oils or lubricants. And the reason for that is because it'll gum things up. Mm-hmm. You know, Oils and lubricants attract grease attracts dirt and holds dirt and it'll make the situation worse. Um, I'm going to say that honestly, I have not run into this before. I've been shooting Shiboya sites for more than 20 years. Never had one lock up on me, but here's a thought, just a thought, depending on which model you're talking about. Um, going to suggest a little, a little tap of talcum powder, just a skosh of talcum powder. And I'm going to take a guess and say, if you're using a, the, the, DX model site with the clear plastic body to hold the aperture, that sometimes those O-rings get a little tied up in there, then the baby powder trick works really well. So maybe just a skosh of that. Can't hurt anything. Talcum won't hurt anything. So Yeah, the only one I ever ran into anything on was, uh, was one I used at Redding, and it was just so much dust there that eventually the, you, know, you didn't feel the same smoothness in the clicks, but... Um, took it apart, blew it off with an air hose, wiped it down where I couldn't get to it, and it pretty much returned right back to normal. Yeah, I mean, but for I, sure, yeah. don't oil them. Yeah, you can also check to make sure the uh, the barrel is tight to the to the threaded rod as well. If that comes loose, you could feel some spinning. Yeah, so hopefully those will help a little bit there. Sarah, thanks for those questions. Um, Lights Out Crew says, uh, good day, gents. I'd like to get your tips for setting up barreled shafts like ACEs and X10s for outdoor compound events. And boy, are we in that time of year now, Steve. Um, Also, I understand it's not recommended to cut beyond a specified length for the different spine shafts. When would one consider cutting from the back of the barreled shafts? Some top archers do trim from the knock end. Thanks again, and congratulations to the Veltmeister, Maestro Elgato Grande, on his superlative (laughs) performance from this past weekend indoor nationals. Thank you, Lights Out Crew. Yeah, thank you. All right, so let's break this. names in. Yeah, let's break this up in, yeah, yeah, all those names, none of which will fit on a license plate. Is Linda calling you Elgato Grande at home? Definitely no. I didn't think so. All right, so the first question is setting up barreled shafts like ACEs and X10s. Generally, we don't recommend that you cut from the back, but for compound shooters, and that's what this is about, uh, all bets are off. Yeah, I mean, you can cut from the back with a compound. I, for Just to go real quick, I don't know a single recurve shooter top level who cuts the back of an X10 or ACE. Uh, compound, The only there's very few guys who, I'd say top level, still shoot the regular X10. Yeah, most, most of guys, most of both men and women have switched the Pro Tour. Yeah. But you are an exception. Yep, but I like the, the, the 325 being the stiffest option we have and – um, I cut three inches off the back to essentially make it into a pro tour. And then I have a few other guys who use the X10 350 who will, 
probably start using the Pro Tour 340 now that it's available. So I uh, don't recommend it. And certainly on a Pro Tour, don't cut those from the back. That'll um, make them weaker, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, guys. I don't people, mean structurally. I mean spine-wise. Yeah, spine-wise. And people always, you know, they ask this question and they kind of, they want to know what it'll do in terms of spine. Like, well, yeah, if I cut a, a 380 X10 from the back three inches or an equal length pro tour all cut off the front, you know, what's the difference? And it's, it's, uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Would, would you happen to know? It's, it depends it, on, it depends on too many variables. To be yeah. Able to give you a blanket answer. There's a lot happening. So, and it probably comes down to what's the overall length and other stuff. So, um, I, I just don't recommend it, you know, um, on a you carbon know, or parallel arrow, you can cut from the front, you can cut from the back. You just can't cut from the middle. No, but that's but on the barreled ones, you know, just stick to the cut recommendations. And if you need to do something outside the lines, probably consult someone who Who's could answer there? it for a specific setup. Yeah. And, not in general. Right. Uh, also, um, the question was uh, regarding cutting beyond a specified length. Yeah, that's in the catalog. And I can tell you that there's a half inch fudge factor for the fumble fingered out there. Yeah. And it's. You can get away Basically with Basically because of carbon overhang and things like that, right? Yeah, although it didn't stop Simon Fairweather from winning the Olympic Games. He had so much overhang, I was horrified, right? I'm like, how are you getting this to work, Simon? And I mean, he had a good, I don't know, eighth of an inch overhang overall, right? Eight, sixteenth on a side because uh-huh. he'd cut his arrows so short. Right. Won the Olympic Games. So I guess you can get away with all sorts of things when you're talented. Probably wear him out pretty quick with no, I don't know. I don't know. Depends so, on the target. But got yeah. it to work. Nikki Haberstock, your buddy from, uh, where is she from? Wyoming. Yeah, she used to be from California. Um, so Nikki uh, says, clearly, Steve has had a phenomenal indoor season. Does he attribute it to anything specific? Years of training paying off? Changes to his training equipment? His beautiful bride? It's probably, if any of those, it's probably the bride. But Good politically correct answer. Yeah, I hope yeah. Linda's listening now. Yeah, well, I'll bet I she... I think she does. Well, but. of course, not. whenever <laughs> you say something nice about her, she doesn't listen. So. <laughs> uh, I would say it's uh, just getting a little bit older, a little bit wiser. So. You're also getting more comfortable in your own skin out there under the lights. Yeah. Um, this year, I've been better in shoot-offs for the most part than I have in qualification. Is be there, been there, done that part of it, you yeah. think? You know, some, I had a parent ask me this morning, you know, how do you, how do you get to that next level and how do you, uh, you know, succeed? I said, well, you got to, one, you got to be there. And two, you just got to be there as often as possible. So, you know, people learn, kids learn how to shoot the bow. There's kids with probably better technique than me. There's a lot of people who probably know how to, you know, aim and execute, know more about their shot than I do. I, I probably, you know, I'm I'm speaking a little bit in hyperbole, but um, there's not a lot of people who have been on the big stage a lot, and it's, it's certainly different out there. And you know, th- this weekend in particular, I remember back to the last time I was in the shoot off at Indoor Nationals, and I remember I had I I didn't stay patient on one arrow, and it cost me. So this week that was the whole goal. I mean, you don't want to be sitting on the release and not making anything happen, but you also don't want to try to force a shot, and I didn't do that. I just I really I made good shots the whole way through. I had I had one that was even close to a line, and it wasn't even close. So um, it's just a matter of being there. You know, go spend fifty grand of your own money on learning, and then uh, and getting your butt kicked and failing a lot, and then it comes with time. Did you make any changes to your sighting setup for the uh, five spot target, or did you just keep what you shot in Vegas? Kept what I shot in Vegas. Shoot right. the same thing for all indoor games. So uh, Nikki's also asking, what's the deal with having to borrow arrows at Vegas? We covered oh, yeah, that Yeah, Nikki's well. got to c- catch up on episode 44. <clears throat> yeah, we cover that in detail. So uh, heading into the outdoor season, what are your best tips and tricks for transitioning from 18 to 50 or 70 meters? Uh, get the peep height set right, number one. Um, Don't freak out when the light changes your lefts and rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of changes going on in when you go from indoor to out and, and, uh, it's not just what you're putting in your quiver and you know, what you're looking at, but 
Keep in uh, mind the clarifier that what might have been your friend indoors could very well be your enemy outdoors. <laughs> exactly. So no, I just try to make sure generally indoors, we tend to run a slightly higher peep uh, and, and outdoors it, it might be, you know, 16th lower. It's not a whole lot, but there's some, we talked about setting peep height in the last episode as well. So that's in there. Uh, other than that, you know, for me, I put a new rest blade on that's meant for the skinny arrows and I move the rest up accordingly and uh, I go from there. So not really any changes. I'll do a French tune when I am getting ready to shoot a tournament like Reading, make sure everything's falling in a straight line. And that's about it. Nikki has one follow-up question, which is uh, ever since her pregnancy, she's experiencing a tingly shooting pain in her bow hand at the end of her follow-through when the bow's hanging off the sling. Pain is from the wrist over the back of the hand to the index finger. Taking off the stabilizer helps some. Any idea of how to deal with it might be causing it. Well, I imagine pregnancy is tough, tough on your body overall, and I would maybe get my upper spine and shoulders checked, make sure you don't have any pinched nerves or mm. tight muscles. Um, you know, just make sure your your shoulders aren't causing you any trouble because that sounds like some kind of a nerve thing going on. Yeah, it could be. So that's, you know, without knowing more, I'd say that. we Yeah, you and I are pretty inexperienced in pregnancies. So. You're not kidding. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> One for me uh, from Malcolm Reese, uh, recurves and extenders. Some top archers like Brady seem to switch between using them and not using them, and they do well both ways. But when I've asked coaches at the club why an archer might use an extender, and I don't, by the way, says Malcolm, I get a different answer from each person, or is it simply preference of feel? I think it's preference of feel. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think you get different answers from coaches because they don't know. But I will point one thing out. Um, Coach Lee has been pushing for more people to use the V-bars directly against the bow setup. He's referring verbally to the kind of setup that I shoot and that all the Koreans shoot as the old school way of doing it or the old style way. I'm going to say that it comes down to how you aim to a degree and how you follow through to a degree. I don't think it actually matters as long as what you're doing is in sync with your method. Brady is setting his bow up. People got to remember this. Brady is setting his bow up more like a compound than a recurve aiming wise. Okay. He's holding longer and he's aiming uh-huh. more intentively than yeah. a lot of recurve shooters it, like say Kibo Bay. His bow is built for the, sh- you know, the, the pre-shot whereas Kibo Bay's is probably built to help her keep the bow moving in the right direction at the shot. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I That was just a shot in the dark. <laughs> no, you were dead on, in my opinion. Okay. This, Hey, Malcolm, this is opinion. Okay. This is not gospel. But I can tell you that, you know, in my experience, we're probably right. And that, and then, you know, it goes back to, does it really matter if there's an extender if you put the weights in the same spot geometrically, you know? Yeah. It, what you're doing is just moving a little bit of that mass of the V-bar away from the bow. Which can change how it holds when you're aiming. And yeah, also change how it follows through. And, and don't forget, there's an interaction here, okay? And it's complex. Top finger pressure, hand pressure in the grip, the um, tiller of the bow. All of these things have an interaction. How you want the bow to react after the shot. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff comes into play. In the end, it's going to be feel, in my opinion. Okay. Marty Judnich says, congrats to the big cat. Excellent shooting. My setup is a Hoyt podium 40-inch compound, 30-inch draw, 59 pounds, shooting a stand back tension release. Carbon 1410s for 3D shooting. He's been considering a torqueless D-loop for this setup, but in test shooting, my Easton pin knocks are popping off the string at full draw due to the extreme angle the string is putting on it with only one string anchor point versus two in a D-loop. The torqueless is tied in as a bottom knocking point. He hasn't tried an upper knocking point and a soft tied in upper knocking point. Same result. What have you guys found? Am I doing something wrong? Yeah, with the torqueless, you got to have longer ears on your knocks or it will come off. So like a G-pin. Yeah, and I'm not even sure a G-pin would work. Um, I mean... Is there an advantage to the torqueless? Not not that I have found. Some people, yes. You know, it depends on your face shape and a few other things. It can help. Um, if you don't have a lot of string interference, you know, if you have a skinny face, you're probably okay without it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go say it doesn't work cause there's been plenty of guys who have proven it does, 
but you have to you have to match the knock to that and outdoors it's hard because if you're using a pin knock there's not a lot with long ears so a g pin may work but i know our regular x10 pin does not and it's not meant for that kind of thing to be brutally honest with no, you. no it really changes the i mean a, an asymmetric pin would be best for you at that point maybe a biter yeah a biter asymmetric pin would be, be and and i'm not sure if you'd want to run it the traditionally correct way or if you'd want to flip it i don't know I, I have no experience with that pin but the way the way it shapes the string with that torqueless d loop at full draw is uh pretty noticeable that that uh, it's not symmetric so maybe that would be what you'd try all right nothing definite there but hopefully that's helpful jeff jenkins steve were you intimidated by jesse broadwater when Who? he stuck Steve, were you intimidated by Jesse Broadwater when he stuck with his 27 size shafts and he went to your X10s for inside-out scoring? He must have been making a statement, right? By the way, great job. You're still the Veltmeister. Yeah. Um, I, I I know a lot of guys think it's best to uh, dance with the one you brought, but I... How about the proof yeah. is the proof is sitting on your desk as a <laughs> yeah I, a silver bowl or whatever you get. Yeah, I mean, look at the difference. Uh, my did you get a silver bowl? Yeah, yeah. So my my X tens I think are two twelve max diameter, and my X twenty sevens are four twenty one. Nate sent me a photo of your last target, and it looks like it would have been a um, well, it's five spots, right? So it would have been fifty points. Uh-huh. If it was a world archery target, in other words, you would have hit the small yeah. ten. I would. Have, I think I would have had the X every time. I yeah, think there was know, only one arrow that I wouldn't have. Maybe yeah. two. Yeah, in, in the whole shoot off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you went through four shoot off ends. Yeah. So you shoot the center. It doesn't matter. But you make I a bad that. shot. Yeah, yeah. You make a bad shot, and that little arrow really helps. And I, I would have been out if I had shot the big. I, arrow. I posted that up as a response to somebody on the Facebook thing on the Easton Facebook page because somebody had said something like. Um, you know, uh, gosh, I can't remember what the exact comment was. Here it is. Somebody had said, are they required to switch to smaller arrows for shoot-offs? And I said, line cutters don't matter when you're dead center with every shot. Yeah. So I think it's crazy not to. I mean, you're giving up on the radius. You're giving up quite a bit of dot size, essentially. I mean, all we're doing when we say shoot inside out is if you're shooting a 27, now you, you can't just shoot a sketchy X. Because a 27 sketchy X will touch the outside line. With a 23, if you shoot an X, you probably won't touch unless the paper's a little damaged, which you're shooting a new face, so it shouldn't matter. Um, but with a, with an X10, I could fit one in between. I could shoot a tweener 10X and not touch the 10 line. So it, it just it, – you're making it more favorable. Stefan won with it last year. I straight up feel like I should have won with it two years ago. I just – completely blew it and missed one entirely uh in the inside out end but that had nothing to do with your setup no that wasn't the bow that was me just completely blowing it and then this year i shot uh you know 19 of 20 really good shots and that one of 20 that was just kind of good saved my butt having small arrows okay so and and you know Stefan doing it last year and he did it again this year he wasn't about to leave those at home yeah so uh, it's uh it was surprising to see Stefan drop one completely out of that uh, x-ring yeah what I, was surprising sure was to me was too. seeing so many guys still rolling a big arrow come shoot off time I do not understand and I don't think you'll see it again <clears throat> you don't think that you think that you're going to see people all switching to a small diameter arrow yep yeah yeah I don't understand why you wouldn't it's, it's not hard to get it to shoot well at 20 yards. It's within the rules. Yeah. You didn't need, you didn't need a second I, bow, did you? I see the rules. No. I put a blade on, went inside it in, moved the rest up a little bit. Yeah, I, I see the rules changing before, you know, before too long, where it's you got to shoot the same arrow the whole way through. And honestly, I'm totally behind that because there was like one in nine guys made the shoot off. You know, the game was – there was 15 of us of 120-ish. So – do the math, but it was it wasn't a it wasn't a small number of guys in the shoot off, and whereas it used to be, you know. So I I could see the rule changing where you have to use the same arrow the whole way through. And I'm not a big fan of inside out personally. I I think it's absolutely necessary. It, it On is the five spot for yeah. that game. Yeah, you'd be there for a while. I'm just not a big fan of five spot. Gotcha. So 
But like I said, it's the, uh, you know, this is the everyman target. It's the club target for, for most people. And mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said for something like that. As opposed to the approach world archery is taking, which is to make the target smaller. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's great for guys like you. Mm-hmm. Not maybe so hot for the club shooters. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, if they took this target and put the Super X inside of it, and then just went to that for the shootoffs. So it's just like Vegas. I think everyone would be okay with I that. I think that new WA target is going to be discouraging for club shooters. Are they doing it for sure? Well, let's see. We'll find yeah. out. All right. Daryl John McLaren Wilson. My guy. Appears to have a battle going on with Alan Cov- Convery. Yeah. Uh, Dar- Daryl is saying, what difference, if any, is there between a convex and a flat lens when it comes to compound field archery? Does it affect the accuracy of ranging the targets? Any other tips on ranging? Love the show. And Alan says, tell him nothing. <laughs> so I, I have no idea about the convex lens. Now, this is flat. a Chuck Cooley kind of question. Yeah, I, I just use a Feather Vision Verde Plus and always have. And it's I, slightly convex. I will say that um, if you've got a flat lens and you've got the wrong side pointed toward you and the sun's behind <sighs> you, you could be in trouble. Right. And most people don't know, but on, uh, on a Feather Vision lens, you want the writing away from you. Good Most to people know. put the writing towards them. Ah, uh-huh. I did it. In fact, it's like a Claymore mine. Yeah. In fact, the <laughs> lens I shot this weekend, uh, because we're indoors and lighting's not a huge issue. You know, it's convex lens. I'm pretty certain that when I got it six years ago, I put the dot on the wrong side, and I just continued to shoot it that way. I don't care. It works fine. This side toward enemy. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's a, that's uh, that's a question I don't have. Um, terms of any other tips on ranging hmm i'm yeah there's another person who asked that question later on so maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to it all right i'll joe, explain my method <clears throat> joe moyer says uh steve thanks for you and linda showing up for the hoyt tour at indoor nationals my daughter enjoyed seeing you both there and talking to her and the other kids about archery yeah so that sounds like a there's a lot of kids there there were time. weren't there yeah so so um let's see we've covered sarah's question Tom Ashton for Steve. Do you change reticles or scopes, et cetera, between indoor and out? What do you see used the most of? Dots, circles, fiber, et cetera. Uh, I use a different scope and power. So indoors, I use six. Outdoors, I use five. For field, I used to use four. Then I started using five with a larger scope. Um, So I will go to a, a small Shibuya 29 millimeter scope with the five power for outdoors. And then I think my dot is just slightly smaller. I think it's a 50 thou. Maybe it's, I don't know, 60 thou. Maybe I'm using 80. Couldn't tell you for sure. But yeah, I do try to make it um, a little smaller so I can go smaller on the peep and sharpen up that image a little bit. Okay. As with world, no clarifier. As world field champion, I'd like to ask Steve. Here we go. What method do you use to range targets and how do you judge angles to cut distance from targets on inclines? Same as everybody else. Exactly. I sound judge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that does come in handy sometimes. I, I, that saved me once or I twice. think we've talked about it. I we don't, have. I think for recurve, maybe. For compound, hard. No. You know, they used to sell, somebody used to sell a yeah, DVD. A 3D guy. Or, sorry, not a DVD, a, uh, a CD. A CD. Yeah. Yeah, as a 3D guy, it was like sound judging it. 292 feet per second or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah. Chuck Cooley wants to know if we go back to the other nickname now, Veltmeister Shaft. <sighs> Seems like I'm just, they just keep stacking up, you know? You know, we got to get Chuck on the phone one of these days and maybe talk to him about lenses and, and that sort of thing in depth. Yeah, that'd be cool. He's, he's the man when it comes to the optics of archery. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Convery, why did Brady Ellison not use his spider veins to shoot indoors? Because he was shooting aluminums and he needed the feathers for the steering, I would presume. Yeah, I don't think the spider vein that he uses is quite big enough or just doesn't create the drag of a feather. Nothing does. I got one thing to say about that, 599. Yeah. Drop the mic. Well, you know, he he shot five-spot nationals as well. And And set a new record. Yeah, he essentially shot a 597 feet of both days. Yeah. Yeah. A back-to-back. Yeah. So, and and I said, hey, good, good rounds. And he goes... Eh, it's about what I've been averaging. Same indoor setup that he's been shooting? Yeah. So, yeah. He's, he's, I don't think people understand that he's in such a good place right now. Watch what happens in outdoor season. Oh. It's going to get interesting. I hope it does. I hope he, yeah. 
I, I think it will. Yeah, you know, some some stuff I saw over the weekend. Um, I think it was from the Infinite Curve, a, a blogger, an archery blogger. Yeah, I, I've met the fellow. Yeah, he showed some stuff on current Korean qualifi- team qualifications. Kuban Chan, as of right now, is not on the team. Which tells you something about how hard it is. <laughs> how good they are. Oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, they take only the top uh, top eight, and I think the top four travel. Japan, yeah, he's, he's fifth, so. Yeah, Japan is, uh, is doing their... Um, their world cup team selection you know they've got their national team but then from the national team they select the four people or three that they'll send to world cups and uh so that's going on uh in about three days and i'm headed there myself so oh, yeah headed to japan with uh with doug denton which should be all kinds of fun oh man uh-huh <laughs> and mike looper maybe we'll see you guys again i don't know well, i don't know but doug in Japan. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good time. It'll be good. Get the boy from Kentucky, a little bit of culture. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, he's spent plenty of time uh, traveling around the world. But uh, Yeah, I used to work for a company that did a lot of stuff in China. Yeah, he so. used to work for a die casting company back yeah. in the day. So he's he actually built a factory in, in, in Brazil and built a factory in Romania or somewhere like that. So Doug's been around. This will be a fun trip because... Uh, Believe it or not, Mike wants to do a little sightseeing. Wow. I always go and I'm just working the whole time, right? right? Mike wants to actually go and like go see Kakagawa Castle or something like that. So I could actually have some fun on this trip Yeah, for a change. All right. So I think that wraps up the Facebook questions. Did we miss anything? I think so. Um, oh, I, yeah. In terms of Stuart's question about... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Stuart. I, I think everyone... I'm not going to come out and explain it because it's... It's a long, in-depth thing. Well, you know, the Pierre Bolstad document on world archery covers just about every yeah, possible method. Yeah, it shows you how to do it. Um, in other words, how to cheat. In terms of inclination, just a little time. You, you can't you can't tell, you know, what works for one doesn't work for the other. Not necessarily. Really, uh, some time in your hotel room with a inclinometer and a little ingenuity and, and some memorization of reference points and... I like, and I'll, I'll your bow in the I'm same serious. spot the I, whole time. I, when I'm getting ready for a field tournament, I'll go for a walk in the woods with a rangefinder, hmm. and I'll look at an object and I'll go, "Okay, it's x about it's it's about this far away," and that's how I practice my gapping, mm-hmm. you know, my ground gapping. Yeah, and uh, I can usually get it to within a couple of meters after yep. some practice out to about sixty. Yeah, and then um, the rest of it, it's it's really just by the book. Use the tails theorem to determine the size of the target. If you pick correctly, you should be able to dial it in within half a yard if you've got a compound. Yeah, the and, uh, you know with a recurve maybe a meter. Like where we shot World Field, the, they took the ground away in front of you quite a bit. They yeah. shot over a lot of goalies and stuff like that. So that was that made a, a ground judging nearly impossible. You know, shooting over a pond. You saw you could you could look at the target and see where a number of people misfaced it, and then that answered any questions you may have had. So, um, yeah, I mean that's that's the key to me is don't misface anything. Yeah, spot the target, Stuart. Make sure that you don't see holes either high or low, mm-hmm. because if you do see a preponderance of holes high or low, you know people picked the wrong face. A good twelve or fifteen power binocular will help you figure it out sometimes. Too. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right, so. Um, it's time to talk to Bruce Cull, our uh, our friend from the NFAA, president of the NFAA, and catch up with him on how things went from his perspective in Cincinnati. NFAA president Bruce Cull. Hey, Bruce, what a season. What an indoor season. And uh, let's just spend a few minutes to recap the successes of 2016-17. Uh, of yeah, definitely, um, George. I can't say enough. Um, you know, just... The way Vegas went, um, and then going into our national, I mean, they were both just excellent tournaments. Um, great turnouts, obviously, set history in both of them for numbers, and uh, couldn't be happier. You know, um, I think it's common knowledge the archery market overall, you know, particularly in bow hunting, has been down a little bit in the last year, but uh, target archery is up, and I think that's been reflected by the numbers at the Vegas shoot and also at the uh, indoor nationals, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, the reason for it, I think, we're going to um, personally, I think Vegas kind of has to be left uh, in a current category. 
really does encompass everybody, and I think it's genuinely the the Super Bowl or the proving grounds of archery. So, you know, if if, if the economy's bad or if you know that's their do or die tournament for the year. Um, but you know, with nationals uh, being up, even though it wasn't at the lot, just you know, it's a record again for us. I think it goes to show that recreational archery and, and target archery and, and the game that we're doing is something that people enjoy. Yeah, and you know, you still have room to grow uh, in terms of Vegas at this time. Oh yes, uh, one of the best things about both those uh, tournaments and venues is that you know, Vegas we can grow quite a bit yet. Um, you know, I would say the the way we're currently sitting, we could go at least three or four years without any making, you know, without making any super big change. And um, in Cincinnati, um, we're good to grow, you know, almost, uh, we could go another 50%. So we're good with both. So you had 2,000 people in Cincinnati. You had, um, what was the final count in Vegas? Was it 3,400? Yeah, 3,485. You know, basically 3,500, yeah. Yeah, 3,500 people. Um could you envision a situation where you had 4,000 people in Vegas? Is that possible? You know, yeah, it is. I mean, we've, um, the, the interesting thing is, of course, our growth the last four years um, has been double-digit percentages every year. And, um, you know, that number has dropped. Like, uh, we were in the 23% a couple of years ago and then 20%. And, you know, that's obviously commensurate to the total number. So this last year, I think we grew 14%. And, um, yeah, we could, you know, we could see 4,000 people very easily within the next couple of years. That's amazing. And it's just a mind boggling thing. Steve's shaking his head here. It's, uh, just an incredible testimony, I think as well oh, to, yeah. to your staff. It's great. I mean, my, my first year of running Vegas was the basement of the Sands Expo Center with 690 shooters. And, um, you know, that was 2000. So 17 years. Um, that's a pretty good number to say you came from and, and where we're at today. You remember when 600 and something seemed like a huge, <laughs> a huge number? <laughs> oh, you know, every one of those four-digit numbers, when we hit 1,000, it was like the end of the world. And then it was like 2,000 was now we'll never get there. And then it was 3,000. was like, oh, yeah, we need to be ready this year for that. Um, so, yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been real interesting. Well, and it's good that you've got a great relationship with the, uh, the current venue in Vegas and, and that they're happy to have us there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So uh, Cincinnati seems to have been a success, uh, not not just with uh, Steve having won the shootoff there, but also uh, for the NFAA. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we took a big chance um, on moving. We, we were forced from Louisville because of a huge renovation, um, at least out of that facility. And we tried to stay in the triangle of uh, Louisville, Indy, and, and Cincinnati, which seems to be – you know, the, kind of the, the hub of where a lot of our membership is. Kind of that eight-hour um, driving circle, I guess you might call it. Actually, it's really closer than that. It's um, it's they're all two hours away driving, which but it's an eight-hour circle. Yes, for the for the consumer for the for the archers. Yes. Yeah. So um, you know, looking at it from the standpoint of, uh, for example, um, the ATA show, which is in a, in the same region. You know, yep. that's the same rationale. Is yes, the dealers exactly. have access, right? So now you've got the shooters yep. with access. Yep, exactly. And, it, you know, um, last year we had had, you know, we broke the 1900 mark, so we thought, wow, can we do it again? And, you know, when you make a venue change and, a, you know, the city change too, it's, it's a risky thing. Um, but, you know, it was obviously successful. And I think the one big thing is specifically to the venue, and Steve could talk about this um, probably better than I could because I didn't shoot, but everything that I heard – was awesome as far as the the venue itself yeah the venue was great um the uh it, it was kind of interesting the city of cincinnati a little bit different than louisville louisville has its its uh upsides i would say in terms of everything around the venue but the venue in cincinnati where we were shooting where the tournament was actually taking place was really awesome it worked out well yeah yeah but you're right they all have you know, between hotels and restaurants, um, that's always something that we have to worry about and get figured out as, you know, as the shooters come. The, the one comment that I did hear was that uh, there were a lot more restaurants closer in Cincinnati, but I heard some negatives on the hotels, which, you know, you're going to have, and I think there's there's some reasons for that, and that's something we have to work on on our end, too. But overall, I would say it was a good success. Well, especially considering that you had an increase, uh, you know, in spite of the whole change to the new city, so... 
Bruce, yep, congratulations absolutely. to you and to Brittany and to everybody at the NFAA office over there in Yankton because uh, just a tremendous job, uh, as as always. But it just seems to be getting better every year, and I just want you to know that uh, those of us in the industry appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. All right, so after all this uh, – after all this season, you surely are looking for some vacation time. Well, eventually, but we've got one more big one. Uh, the third tournament of our three-star tour is the first Dakota Classic, which is the end of April, the last weekend. And um, we've done some, you know, some hard work with that one. Too. We've added an extra day, and we've been able to increase numbers. And you know, we're really excited about that. Um, you know, this year. Um, we, I, I think we're going to have an increase in the pro numbers uh, after they got to see the format change last year. I think most people were happy, so we're really looking forward to that. Absolutely. So that'll be uh, – I guess we've got some expectations for Steve now too, huh? Yeah, well, you know what, Steve? Um, what place does Steve get in Vegas, third or fourth? Fourth. Fourth, yeah, okay. So if we could finally have somebody <clears throat> win two of the three of our tournaments, that would be quite a feat. And, um you know, I think Linda Anderson's wife could probably do it. Um, I tried to introduce <laughs> him to that, but I got beat to the punch. But <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Steve was. Uh, weren't you in contention last year at the Classic? Um, I think I was top eight, but I, I yeah, yeah, it was. I shot, I shot decent. Yep. The year the before, I podiumed really, uh, there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you should um, say something about the format of that, Steve, from a pro's perspective, because you know, the amateurs love the fact that the whole thing is a money shoot and they got to shoot well to stay inside of course you guys are all at that upper level but um what do you think of going to that 60 50 format um did it get changed am i no 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 no. you're shooting i'm talking about shooting the 60 and 50 and the 40 yards versus shooting all these 20 yard oh yeah okay just the, the the moving outdoors yeah essentially shooting outdoors indoors um well, I mean, last you know, last year there was one or two guys who shot clean scores still. Yeah. But, you know, you're talking one or two out of, like, 50 or 60 of us versus, you know, 15 clean scores out of 120 guys in or in Cincinnati. So it is it is different. The, you know, the, the game changes quite a bit. You don't have to be – it's not one arrow and you're out. Um, right. You know, you can, you can have a little slip up and still – still be okay but you know where last year we went to the head-to-head format at the classic that i think was pretty cool and uh, i expect it'll be even better this year now that we all kind of have a better understanding of all the little nuances and rules that needed to be in place so it's I a, think one of the neatest things from our perspective was that um you know the thing that we always try to do is um try to have some real equality between all the divisions and I think for the first time ever, all the amateurs got to say, hey, I'm doing like Steve Anderson and Breeden Gilkin are. We're shooting head-to-head. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, they, they only never, see it at the World Cup. Before. Right. So I think yeah. that's uh, – I think it's a cool thing for, for the amateur class. Honestly, the majority of the pro class hasn't done that either. You know, if they shoot NFA yep. events, they, they've never really gone head-to-head unless you get down to the end of a shoot off where it's, you know, like, uh, like Vegas, where it was Mikey and Stefan, where then it's head to head or here in Cincy where it was Stefan and I, um, other than that, you're shooting against the group as a whole. And really you're shooting only against yourself. Right. Exactly. So in, in this regard, yeah, the other it's part true head to head. Really neat. I think, um, you know, this is the only tournament really of target tournaments where you shoot those multiple longer distances. And like you said, number one, you can miss, um, which is a good thing. Um, but number two, you know, again, everybody from the pros on down to, to shoot at that kind of distance just is, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a, a novelty aspect and turns it into a competitive and then it turns it into a, a super competitive when you get head to head. So it's it's really kind of a neat tournament. I think people really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a fun one. And let's see, last year we were in June, right? We held it in June or July. Yeah, and we were a little bit too late, I think. And this is really the first of May, the last weekend of it was literally the last day of April. So I think timing-wise, um, there's not that extra 60 days there when people want to be outdoors. So this is like the real end of indoor at, at a different distance. So I think it's kind of the best of all the worlds. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to making the trip, trying to decide if I want to fly into Omaha or Sioux Falls or Sioux City or wherever the heck it is. Yeah, Delta we've got all into. sorts of options. So that'll be good. Looking forward to it. 
All right, sounds good. Well, Bruce Call, NFAA president and uh, master of the Vegas shoot, I can't thank you enough for not just your cooperation for the podcast today, but everything that you've done for us this past season. Thank you so much, Bruce. Absolutely, and thank you, and thank all the shooters out there. Always a pleasure with uh, with Bruce on the phone. There, he's uh, he's awesome. You know, when I when I started shooting in 2010, people were, you know, they were always questioning what was happening and yeah, you know, what's the NFA doing? What's Bruce doing? What's happening with the Vegas shoot? And yada yada. I don't think anyone asks any questions. They just kind of everyone is all about letting Bruce do his thing because all we've seen is a steady upward trend. And who knows better? provably on how to run an, an event of this scale than Bruce and Brittany and the team from the mm-hmm. NFAA. I mean, nobody nobody else in the world is doing something this size. Okay, there have been some really big outdoor tournaments. Yeah. There used to be an enormous one in Arizona, Mormon Lake, you know, which was a big 3D thing. 4,000 people would turn out for that. That's not like the Vegas shoot. Nothing like that. It's not four days of, you know, scoring and, and, and just intense shooting and – the whole social aspect of it. I mean, it's just, it's and been a tremendous success. Organizing a venue. and Oh, Lordy, yeah. yeah and I mean, if you've got a big outdoor place where, you know, you're on BLM ground and it's free or extremely cheap, that's easy. You kind of just make, all, all you really have to worry about is getting everything out there and set up. There's there's no profitability concerns versus renting a place like Vegas and then still saying, here's what we're going to put up Yeah. in terms of prize money. Yeah. And that's... Uh, you know, you look at those buildings and it's not cheap. Those are extremely expensive to to rent and they're extremely hard to schedule. So just the the logistics, I mean, or I handle a lot of the logistics for us going to shows and things like that. I would, it would be, it's just a huge task to handle the logistics that they have to. Yeah, and they closest, have a pretty small team. Closest thing is going to be Rob Coffold's event uh, in Pennsylvania. It's getting bigger and bigger all the time. And that's, you know, uh, another big, hard thing to organize that they yeah. seem to do a great job with. Yep. But there's very few and far between tournaments of that scale. And um, so, you know, Bruce's people have got it down to science. It seems. Yeah. And, you know, every time I see Bruce, it's like he looks like he's been solving one problem after another because those things pop up no matter how well you prepare. There's always situations and fires you got to put out. Not he's literally. not one of those people that sits back and tells people what to do. He goes out there and gets it done. Yeah, he handles things. So it's a, well, he doesn't have a lot of people to tell what to do. That's so. true too. <laughs> he's got to, he's got to go get it done. That's true. All right. Well, what do you got coming up? Anything, uh, anything major? How's the shotgun going? Um, well, I'm definitely buying a new shotgun after oh. this weekend. Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yep. Okay, you're you're going down that path, are you? Yeah, I'd, I'd already planned on doing so, but now my options opened up a little bit more. Oh yeah, so we'll see. Money burning a hole in your pocket, is it? Ah, eh, not quite yet. All right, fair so enough. You got to get it first. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm headed to Japan with uh, with uh, my buddies from Hoyt, and uh, we're going to the high school nationals actually. And then um, Mike and uh, Doug are going to head back to Tokyo, and I'm headed to Hamamatsu to do a series of seminars for the high school federation teach them how to which end of the x tend to cut <laughs> <laughs> the, the stuff quest, like that yeah yeah i know how it is yeah so all right well that just about wraps up this uh this podcast number 45 another milestone we are really knocking them out when's our next one well we'll do one right after i get back from japan all right yeah there's not not a ton of well. After you get back from Japan, by the time you can catch up with me, Arizona Cup will have been done. Exactly, and so, so that'll be uh, a recap of Arizona Cup, and uh, we'll. I think we're going to get into a little more technical stuff about outdoor setups, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a chance to talk to Chuck, maybe get some more four one one on sighting for outdoors, and uh, of course, we would love to get your questions at podcast at eastontp.com which is our email address for anything you'd like to address to the show. And also, Steve Anderson's Facebook is? Facebook.com slash Big Cat Archery. And your Instagram is not that active anymore, huh? You know, no, it's not. What's going on? You just aged out of the Instagram generation or what? Yeah, they, you know, I tried to do a Facebook Live while we were shooting practice in the shoot-off and, 
I didn't push the right button and it didn't actually happen. And here I am holding my phone up, you know, asking Chance Bobef questions, thinking we're recording. I look down and it's like, do you want to go live? And I'm like, wow, I'm an idiot. You know, I, well, that's happened to me. I'm getting old, I guess I'm out of, out of touch. Um, so now it's, uh, yeah, Instagram, Instagram's a place for nice pictures and I'm not a great photographer. You know, Facebook, it feels like I can, I can dish the content a little better. Mm. So I hate the interface. I'll get, I'll get on both of them. You know, I'll just, I'll do the easy way out and just make it. So one post to the other. All right. That's kind of, it's a total cop out to me, but it's all good. I need to be on both. And I, I was deciding this morning on the way into work that I think I'm going to reserve all personal thoughts and just start putting them on Twitter. Like, this morning I decided country music sucks now. It used to be, you know, a lot better than it is now. Not everyone's going to say it's good, but if you are a person who likes country music and you want to stand next to me and say that it's good now compared to what it was five, ten years ago, you're crazy. You know, I'm not a country music fan, but I've acquired lately a taste for an occasional Johnny Cash song, and I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. Hmm. But I've yeah. I've been just not listening to binges of Johnny Cash, but just occasional one here or there. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll just start. I mean, I grew up in New York. Nobody listens to country music no. in New York. And I grew up in Idaho and a lot of people do. So maybe I'll just start putting out some personal thoughts on Twitter. All right. Starting with country music sucks now. Deep thoughts with Steve Anderson. I was a big fan of that on Saturday Night Live when they did that feature. Deep thoughts with Jack Handy. Yep. Well, all right then. We'll look forward to seeing your 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 deep thoughts on Twitter, which is also Steve Anderson eighty eight. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I'm also occasionally on Twitter putting up stuff that has very little to do with archery generally, because anytime I do say something archery related, I get in trouble. So there you go. I think you know what it's time for? End of show. <laughs>